everybody, and welcome to another episode of From Plum Creek with Love, a Little House on the Prairie podcast. I'm your host, John Hernandez. I've been back home for over a week now, and I still feel as though I'm adjusting from driving through all of those time zones one way and the other in a very short period of time. I don't even want to have to imagine going 10 light years and then back in a very short period of time. But what I'm really waiting for is the development of teleportation, or as they like to say on Dragon Ball Z, instant transmission. And of course, we would work past any sort of hiccup in the teleportation development, you know, to avoid any sort of complications, you know, just like Dr. Seth Brundle in The Fly. That's the dream, isn't it? Regardless of the award for traveling, traveling is just stressful. Now, does teleportation, or instant transmission, have anything to do with today's episode? And the answer to that is no, not at all. Just trying to start off with a rather lighthearted mood. Today's episode has a few heavy points. And as a first-time watcher of this series, I have to say, season one, okay, you went there. And we still have eight more seasons to go. So, with that being said, let's go ahead and get started on this recap. Today's episode is entitled Child of Pain and premiered on February 12, 1975, was written by John Meston and directed by Victor French. It's nighttime, and we're at a house we've never been to before, and a man on horseback arrives. He takes his horse into the barn, and it looks as though he's adjusting fresh hay, but really, he's just sifting around for a hidden bottle of booze, and looking at it, he finishes off what's left inside. We cut to inside the shack, and a young boy is preparing potatoes, and the door swings open, and the drunken man greets his son, Graham. He then immediately inquires about dinner. He's a little hungry. Graham says, the potatoes are almost set to boil. Did you bring the meat? The man clearly has forgotten the meat and hits the table hard. He then starts to rummage very aggressively through the cabinets and the rest of the house as if he's looking for that forgotten meat. And this behavior has little Graham literally stuck in his tracks. And that's when the man flat out asks Graham, where's my whiskey? And little Graham, taking his father's word, promising that he wouldn't drink anymore, refuses to handle those bottles of whiskey over. The man, again, asks for those bottles of whiskey. And that's when Graham has to admit it. He can't hand him over because he had busted those glasses and watched the whiskey spill out. Pa is crushed. And unfortunately, that is the best way to describe it. He nearly breaks into tears as he leans up into the wall. Nearly. His whole demeanor flips when he notices a belt hanging from a nail right by his side. And let's just say the next couple edits just allude to the fact of what we all know it's about to happen. And so we cut to the next day at school. 
Graham is sitting in class and Miss Beetle is ready to start the arithmetic. And well, it appears to be Graham's first day of school because we get two different shots of groups of children staring at him. Oh, but wait, nope, mistake. They're looking at his black eye. And the only reason I picked up on this was because he lifts up his right hand to cover his right eye. You know, with today's standard of special effects makeup, this is really subtle. And we are well aware that Graham suffered physical abuse in the last scene. However, this makeup is not cutting it. And I digress. After announcing the busy work, Miss Beetle asks Graham to step outside. Cut to Doc Baker's office. And somebody get that man an oven mitt so he can get that kettle off the oven. In the process of making his coffee, Charles shows up to pay off some of his medical bills. And it must just be a very busy day at the office because Miss Beetle shows up with Graham. And Charles and Doc Baker both notice Graham's black eye. In a lighthearted tone, Doc Baker asks, oh, did you get into another fight? We don't get an answer from Graham, but we do get a reply from a very stern Miss Beetle. Please take off your shirt. Charles tries to excuse himself, but Miss Beetle insists that he stays. And when the shirt comes off, Graham's back is covered in lashes. And once again, I hate to spoil the mood, but the makeup on these lashes is terrible. It looks like he simply lost in a marker fight. That's how bad this makeup is. But again, I digress. Doc Baker of course, wants to clean the wounds and simply states, this will sting a little bit. No other questions. Other than, are there any other places? Graham replies with a no and throws out that he fell out of a tree. That's how this all happened. What, like a whomping willow or something? Graham is excused and told to wait out in the lobby, just behind the curtains. And we find out that this is the fourth time Graham has come to school like this. Clearly, the boy's welfare is at stake. And Doc Baker claims that himself and Reverend Alden have already tried to talk to Graham's pa about his drinking to no avail. And Miss Beetle is a little upset. Nothing can be done. At this point, Charles suggests a Walnut Grove intervention. Seriously, everyone in town getting together and having a meeting. Which does sound rather complicated to get in order, but Charles says we can do it right after church while everyone's here. Doc Baker agrees this is a great idea. We can do it for the boy and his pa. And wow, Charles flat out admits that Doc Baker is being a better Christian than he is because Charles' only concern is for the boy and he has very little thought for the father. And it's that time of the month because Jehoshaphat is waiting outside that church. And speaking of church, it's after church and the whole town. Okay, well, maybe not the whole town have gathered for this meeting, but it's at least our main players, plus Mr. Kennedy and possibly Mrs. Foster, and six more extras. 
and this is, of course, all in regards to John Stewart. Finally, and I just have to point this out, John Stewart's name is in the credits at the beginning of the episode, but this is the first time we hear anyone say his name. And of course, the discussion is, what do we do with him? Walnut Grove doesn't have any sort of law enforcement, nor does it have any sort of holding or prison cell to keep somebody refrained for a while. There is some doubt slash concern expressed by Mr. Olson's, but Charles states this needs to be done for the boy's sake. And that's when John Stewart steps in the room with his son Graham. Surprised, not surprised at all, John Stewart kind of came to the conclusion that this is what the meeting would be about. Having his son take a seat in one of the pews, John Stewart surveys the room. Are you all talking about me? You all talking about me? It looks like you're all talking about me. He calls them out and says, does anyone have the guts to say anything to me? And that's when Charles steps forward and welcomes John Stewart to have a seat. And the response he gets is, cut the crap. What is the reason behind your meeting? Cutting the crap, Charles states, we've decided to do something about you mistreating your son. John Stewart laughs and proclaims there's nothing you can do about it. Charles reiterates, well, it's not just me thinking this. It's a generally a, a, a town consensus. And Charles admits that they'll take Graham away. And in that moment, Graham gets up and hugs his pa. Don't take me. I love my pa. I'm bad sometimes. It's not his fault he hits me. There's a look from Caroline as she is watching the scene and then a look up to Charles. And it is screaming. I'm so confused. With his son wrapped around his waist, John Stewart and Graham make a silent exit. Everyone at this meeting is speechless. Cut to nighttime at the Ingalls. Charles is crawling into bed and Caroline is laying there. Can't help but wondering, how can anyone beat a child? How can he still love him? At this moment, Charles, thinking he's giving his sage advice, states, dogs stay with masters who beat them. That's not a very satisfactory answer. Caroline's words, not mine. Unsure of what can be done to help, Caroline goes to her old reliable answer, pray for him. Next day, as the children are heading out to recess, Miss Beetle stops Laura to inquire if Charles is in town. Yes, he's over at the mill. She tells Laura thanks and has her remind the children that recess is only 10 minutes long. And over at the mill, it looks as though Charles is wearing the shirt made him for Christmas. You know, it's the same shirt that Caroline made him, but we don't know what happened to that shirt. And he is right. That is definitely his color. And the fact that he's holding a circular saw blade. Coming into scene, Miss Beetle says Graham didn't come to school and I'm worried. Charles then heads out on a welfare check and arriving at the Stewart's shanty. And ugh, that house has been ransacked, rifled, torn up, 
and down, flipped and reversed it. And that's when Charles discovers Graham Stewart. And the boy is unconscious. Charles manages to pick him up, place him onto a bed, wrap him in blankets, and then proceeds to carry him out to the wagon. And I know we should be relieved that Graham is getting the help, but did Charles possibly make an unknown injury worse by moving him? Uh, With the boy in the wagon, Charles rides away, and that's when we see John Stewart propped up in the barn, passed out, holding on to a bottle. Back at Doc Baker's, Graham is unconscious, and then John Stewart shows up. You got my boy? And when he steps into the office, that's when he chuckles upon seeing Charles. Miss Ingalls said you might be here. It's at this point Charles says that he found Graham unconscious. And John Stewart can't even say the word, which also makes me think he's not even aware of what the word actually means. However, he also claims that none of this is true and none of it happened. And that's when Charles goes all Congorilla on John Stewart with his hands on him and backs him up into the wall. You're going to tell me he did this to himself? John Stewart admits, I, I, I don't believe it. Charles, adding more to this, are you going to say someone else tore up your house and beat up your son? And well, not surprise, it does seem John Stewart suffered from a blackout because he has no recollection about any of this. However, upon seeing the truth laying on the examining table, John Stewart finally breaks down and asks for help. Another town meeting slash intervention. Right from the start, we are informed John Stewart is locked up in the mill storeroom, so we don't have to expect any interruptions. Mr. Kennedy is adamant that they punish John Stewart. Caroline throws it out there. It's a lousy idea. Hurt the father, you hurt the boy. Destroy the father, destroy the boy. Mr. Kennedy, as usual, is the skeptic when it comes to hearing any sort of ideas from women. And once again, Doc Baker interjects that the man suffers from a sickness, and what he needs is around-the-clock care and observation. Help clean the man up and get him on a better path. A very vocal Harriet Olson states, Heaven's sake! can't make a sill purse out of a sow's ear. And Mr. Kennedy agrees to that. And Caroline can't believe what she's hearing. Sew a silk purse out of a sow's ear. What a ridiculous waste of time. However, trying to save John Stewart is not a waste of time. And she calls Mr. Kennedy out on that. And remember, Mr. Kennedy makes all the decisions in his household. So his response to Caroline is, Well, you heard your wife, Ingalls. What about you? And Charles does hear what his wife's saying and does agree to try and help John Stewart. With his cooperation slash permission, John Stewart has Graham stay over with the Ingalls. Charles will be over staying with Graham and watching him, helping him out, However, Graham is not happy about being away from his pa. And trying to flip the story here, Caroline says, You being here with us, this is your part in helping your pa. 
How would he feel if he knew you weren't getting any dinner? Without missing a beat, Graham states, Oh, he wouldn't know. He's always drunk by supper time. Talk about foot and mouth. But Caroline is still hurt by these images of a starving boy. It's announced from inside the house that the pot pies are out of the oven. Caroline makes her way inside and we see Laura hovering above the pot pies, inhaling their fragrance. And I swear, Carrie is just a cardboard cutout sometimes. When everyone is seated and just before grace is about to be said, Graham Stewart comes in and has a seat at the table. Over at the Stewart's shack, John Stewart is handing over two half-full, half-empty bottles of whiskey. And I call BS, and so does Charles. He admits to John Stewart that the only reason he is there is because Caroline believes in you. I don't believe in you. I believe in the boy. But I also believe in my wife, and that's why I'm here. So put all the whiskey on the table. And that's when John Stewart pulls a third bottle from a secret compartment in the wall. And John Stewart is made to pour all of those bottles out himself. And it starts as a pour until John Stewart loses his patience and just drops all of the bottles. And with the whiskey gone, let the withdrawal symptoms begin. Of course, those symptoms are starting off with agitation, night sweats, and apparently hallucinations about bats. We have John Stewart freaking out in bed that a bat is attacking him. For real. I mean, it's in his dream, but for real, it's happening. I guess we should be thankful it's not a baby crawling on the ceiling and then turning its head around 180 degrees. You know, a la train spotting. And whoa, Charles has to bear hug the man and restrain him. Not once, but twice that evening. Next morning at the Ingalls, Laura fears a geography exam, but in the same breath refuses to give up her free time for extra studying. I like reading Tennyson. Caroline finishes packing up Laura's lunch and has a lunch prepared for Graham as well. And he refuses it. I don't need it. I never take a lunch to school. He also states he would rather walk to school alone. Caroline gives him permission to leave, and he immediately does. And she shares with Mary and Laura, I don't think he wants the other children to know he's here. And Laura, on top of it about respecting privacy, says it's none of their business if Graham is staying with us for the time being. Caroline then continues, here, take his lunch. Pretend to share it with him during lunchtime. Oh, Caroline, you're finding those gray zones. We cut back over to the Stuart shanty. John Stuart is adjusting to living with his new friend, the Shakes. Comments on how pale the water is and how you can hardly taste it. Pale the water, water pale. <laughs> John Stuart then requests to have a break. I've been working so hard. Charles says no. You'll be asleep in five minutes and it will take an hour to wake you up. John Stuart answer to this. Ah, uh, an hour of sleep would be nice. Charles brings up the night tears from the night before and proudly states, Tonight, you won't have them. You're going to be too tired to even snore. Now back to work. 
Back at the Ingalls, Graham Stewart is feeding chickens for the first time ever. And also isn't aware of the difference between a boy chicken and a girl chicken. Mary does her best to explain the difference between the hen and the rooster. However, recall that Mary was the one asking for a friend. Said, Christy said babies come out of giant eggs and you have to crack them open. So I don't know if Mary is the best source for this type of information. But Mary just simply states that if there's an egg underneath the chicken, then it's a girl. And not really even bothering to mention that there are other ways to identify their differences, such as how they look. However, in the moment, Mary gives her chicken to Graham Stewart, who immediately protests, and big sister Mary simply states, too late now, no give backsies, it'd be impolite. Mary takes the chicken feed and heads out of the scene. It's at this point Graham Stewart hands over to the hen house to check out this egg theory. And he looks underneath one chicken, no egg, you're a boy. Which again, sorry Graham, the eggs could have been picked up earlier that day. And meanwhile, back over with the odd couple, John Stewart's shakes have become too much and he nearly collapses. Charles picks the man up and calls it a day as they head inside to rest. Nighttime over at the Ingalls, dinner is being cleaned up and there's a discussion about homework but is immediately forgotten when the subject turns to Graham Stewart. Apparently he has snug out to clean the stalls in the barn as a surprise for Caroline. And heading out to the barn, we do find Graham Stewart, dressed as though he's auditioning for it a role in Oliver. Expressing gratitude, Caroline convinces him he can continue this in the morning. Before making their way inside, Graham Stewart inquires if he can make a henhouse travel tote for his chicken and proceeds to describe the entire process. And Caroline, wow, that sounds amazing and complicated. Graham immediately replies, yeah, my pa. After a moment of silence, he then begs to see his pa. And Caroline says, you and I have the same problem. You miss your pa, and I miss my husband. Back at the Stewart shack, John Stewart is doing more and more to fix up that broken home. Charles mentions how he's going to keep him busy and how the house needs a new door. John Stewart's excited. New door, that sounds like an easy job. Charles says, yes, that's why I'm doing it. You get to go ahead and plant some corn. And yeah, talk about a surprise. <laughs> staying busy there, we cut to Graham Stewart staying busy, showing off his crafting skills, building that little hen house slash tote. Caroline shares some remains of a burlap sack for a roof, and she mentions how they'll miss him. And Graham, right on cue, when can I go home? Has Pa stopped drinking? And this is when Caroline starts digging for a few more answers. And Graham simply answers them. She starts off by asking, is your pa mean when he drinks? Mostly. She continues with, I heard he started drinking because of your mother. Her name was Lucy. He only talks about her when he's drunk. She died when I was born. 
He only gets mad when he's drinking. And it's okay, because he never remembers in the morning. Stunned by this confession, Caroline says, What happened to your mom, you shouldn't blame yourself for. And Graham Stewart replies, I don't. Pa does. Oh boy, we got to Reverend Alden paying a visit to the Stewart house. John Stewart throws a little shade, saying, You never came here before. There's an awkward eye exchange between Charles and Reverend Alden. I was over at the Ingalls, and Caroline asked for me to stop by and say hi. Your boy says hello, and he's doing well, and he misses you. John Stewart replies, Of course he does, and excuses himself. Reverend Alden and Charles have another exchange. Inside the house, Charles was made aware of Graham's confession, and now Charles needs to see if John Stewart is aware he is blaming Graham for his wife's death. Charles definitely has his work cut out for him, but there's only about seven minutes left in the episode. And again, cutting the crap, Charles dives in. I sure do miss my wife. When did you lose yours? What's her name? How did she die? John Sturt simply says, what's the difference? And admit, she died giving birth to the boy. And that's when Charles once again goes Congorilla. And that's why you blame him and tell him that every time you beat him? John Stewart looks a little lost. But this is the truth. This is the truth. These are the hard things to re remember. When you don't remember, you put all of this blame on your son and you never remember it. And he does. Because he isn't drunk. And John Stewart has no choice but to accept this truth. It's late at night and John Stewart is not having any luck sleeping. So he gets up quietly and heads out to the barn. And he is moving around those feeding stalls and lo and behold, there is one bottle left. John Stewart lifts that bottle up, pulls out the cork, and proceeds to dump the rest of that whiskey out. And this is where Charles finds him. That was my holdout bottle, John Stewart says. You said you would find more stuff for me to work on, to stay busy, and I found something else to do. And it gave me pleasure to pour it out. Some. John Stewart has come to terms with the hard truth of how he's been treating his son and proclaims, I love my son. With a slight nod of approval, Charles looks at John Stewart and says, Let's get some sleep. I want to go home tomorrow. We cut to breakfast at the Ingalls. It's Saturday, and Caroline suggests a picnic down by the creek. A little bit of fishing line, and that's when Charles steps into the little house. Everyone is surprised. They are up on their feet. They are embracing Charles. Charles looks down at Graham Stewart. Your pa is outside. A smile spreads across that boy's face like butter melting in a frying pan as he races outside. John Stewart picks up and hugs his boy and says, let's go home. 
But before they go, Graham Stewart runs into the barn to gather his small little hen house carrier and the Stewart men carrying that chicken between the two of them are on their way home. On their way home, they're going home. Ooh boy, like I said, what an episode. Time and a place for jokes. Definitely weren't that many spots in this episode. So moving forward, I would like to go ahead and address the makeup. Because again, I did make a kind of a stink about that. So the Primetime Emmy Award for Best Makeup does go back all the way to 1965. And again, I don't know what kind of standards they had back then. But what was delivered in this episode as a black eye, as well as some lashings on the back, again, did not cut it. And apparently somebody got the memo because a few years later, Little House on the Prairie would be nominated for a primetime Emmy for Best Makeup. But again, that's jumping ahead too far, and I only just happened to glance on it on the website that I'm looking at. However, with that being said, we should take this up to the next level, the Academy Awards. The award for Best Makeup was created back in 1981 for the 54th Academy Awards, and the inaugural winner was American Werewolf in London. Talk about coming out with a bang. However, it was the year before at the 53rd Academy Awards when there was a huge criticism about the makeup category in regards to the movie The Elephant Man, which was directed by David Lynch, who already happens to have a connection to Little House on the Prairie with Miss Charlotte Stewart. Prior to the category being developed, there were only honorary awards given to achievements in makeup. And with that being said, let's get to reviewing and rating this episode. All right, so let's just get it over with. The makeup for Graham's abuse, terrible totally terrible. Again, his black eye that he's supposed to have in the classroom didn't even notice it. Again, it was his gesture of moving his hands up to cover his face when it dawned on me, oh yeah, he might have a black eye from last night's incident. And the lashes on his back, it's seriously like somebody opened up an eyeshadow palette and just picked two colors at random and smeared them quite poorly on his back. And again, the horrible thing is those moments are not even on the screen for that long, but they stick in my head because they were so terrible. So thank you to shows like Face Off, Skin Wars, and RuPaul's Drag Race, the things that you can make with imagination, talent, and the right makeup. Thank you. Aside from that, tackling the subject matter of alcoholism as well as child abuse, like I said, Little House on the Prairie Season one is coming out of the gates swinging. Oh, that's a bad choice of word. When is the last time you can recall an episode of a family drama that tackled the issue of child abuse? I mean, even think of family sitcoms that sometimes have tackled that. I can recall the special drug and alcohol episodes of certain sitcoms. There were separate episodes where Vanessa Huxtable and Becky Connor get intoxicated. There was the one time where Mike Seaver and Boner Stabone were offered potentially crack cocaine. And who can forget Jessie Spano and her caffeine pill addiction. 
Of course, let's not forget the special, special episodes of Punky Brewster and Different Strokes. Doing some digging, there is an episode of Full House where they do tackle the subject matter. And even in Boy Meets World in 1996, there was an episode. But nowadays, those very special episodes are pretty much just regular episodes in many different kind of TV show genres. And even though Graham Stewart is in a number of scenes and has a number of lines, I feel like we don't really get a chance to know him. Yeah, he wants to go and continue to be with his dad even while he's intoxicated. And we get a brief moment of pride when he does mention that his pa, John Stewart, taught him how to build things. There's just, feels like there's something missing with his character. And John Stewart himself, so it was good to see him go through some sort of transformation. Again, if he hadn't, then what was the point of the episode? However, I will say his drunken demeanor at the first Walnut Grove intervention meeting is our little house moment for this week. When he comes in with his son, he immediately owns that room. Nobody is willing to say anything and he calls them all out. And yes, Charles steps forward and invites him to have a seat, you know, being hospitable. John Stewart is just trying to keep control of the situation. And although he is a D-bag for doing it, he does it so well. Again, our little house moments are not always going to be the most heartfelt moments of the episode. And with that, let's get to rating this episode. So the combination of the bad makeup, which again is in the episode very briefly, and kind of feeling a little left out on getting to know Graham Stewart even more and his complicated relationship with his dad, the source of everything is just revealed at the end of the episode. So there's, again, very little growth to see from Graham or John. We just see them leaving with that chicken. But other than that, it's a pretty solid story for myself. And again, tackling the subject matter of child abuse and alcoholism. So this very special episode of Little House on the Prairie, Child of Pain, I am going to give it four and a half bonnets. And again, those are some of my thoughts and feelings about this episode. And of course, I'd like to hear any sort of thoughts or feelings you have about this episode or any previous episode. You can send an email to from Plum Creek with Love at gmail.com. And again, feel free to rate and review me on the iTunes. Again, if that's where you're listening to me. And as easy as that Spotify playlist is to go ahead and compile, I swear I'm going to get to the Instagram account here shortly. And with that being said, we come to the end of another episode of From Plum Creek with Love, a little house on the prairie podcast. I'm your host, John Hernandez, and until next time, take care. Thank you.